Ignition sequence start. See, Elijah Wan has David Robinson just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three hitters. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McGrady at the buzzer. Yeah! Oh! Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three, and got it! I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's going to be scary. Not for us. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. I am your host, Jackson Gatlin, at JT Gatlin on Twitter. Producer with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship here in Houston. Now, today's a fun day. Today's a day where we get to sit here and we are going to lounge around in our metaphorical armchairs, fire up 2K, and go through some hypothetical trade scenarios for the Houston Rockets. But first, before we can even do that, we have to essentially look at the building blocks at hand and what the Rockets can even hypothetically use in any trade that they want to accomplish. Now, the Rockets are a team under Daryl Morey's tenure as general manager that have been one of, if not the most aggressive team in the trade market, whether it's the summer, whether it's the middle of the season, Daryl Morey is consistently and always looking to improve this team. Now, this time around, he's kind of limited. The Rockets don't have that many pieces that they can move successfully and here's the thing is, you know, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Clutch Fans, you know, web forums, Reddit, wherever it may be, is we see these wild trade suggestions thrown around constantly. You know, people saying, trade Westbrook. People going, let's package Gordon and Capella for Kevin Love. And look, unfortunately, we have to throw a splash of realism into this, is there are restrictions. This isn't 2K. You can't just turn on trade override and just force trades through that make no sense for the other team. Essentially, there are three elements that you have to look at when you're considering any trade in the NBA. And those three elements go like this. It has to make sense for Team A. It has to make sense for Team B. And it also has to work under the restrictions of the CBA, the NBA Collective Bargaining Agreement. So to fulfill those three things... You have to be able to look at your own team and say, okay, the Rockets want to improve in XYZ category. So whether that be shooting, defense, size, whatever they want, sure, and we're going to get to those. Then you have to look at it from the other team's point of view. You have to think about why another team would want this trade to happen, and that's usually the, the area that I see most often people don't give a lot of thought to because they're only looking at things through the Rockets scope or through the, through a Rockets set of glasses. And regrettably, if you want to look at trades and get into serious trade discussions about things that you know could very well happen further down the line as we approach the NBA trade deadline, then you have to actually give some thought to the other teams involved in these hypotheticals and think, well, if I was that team, would I really want to take part in this trade? Does that really help us out? And I think that's what I'm going to try to do today with some of the hypotheticals that I have drafted up. 
I think I've done a decent job of trying to look at it through both a Rockets lens as well as the lens of the other teams involved, as well as making sure that things make sense financially. And that brings us to point number three, is financially, these trades have to line up. You can't just suggest trading a player who makes $15 million for a player who makes $25 million. It has to fall within the realm of the CBA, which means that any trade value going back and forth has to fall within the 125% rule. That means that a team receiving salary back can receive no more than 125% of what they send out. If I'm making sure, I want to make sure I said that right. Yeah, so basically, let's say the Rockets are sending out $10 million worth of salary. They can bring back in up to $12.5 million plus an extra 100000 that's the that's the limit. That's how these trade exceptions work, or not trade exceptions specifically, but that's how the salary confines work as far as these trades are concerned. And for the Rockets, who don't have any sizable salary to move, it makes things rather difficult when you're looking at guys like Robert Covington or, you know, the long talked about Andre Iguodala, you know, guys who are making you know, in the double-digit millions of dollars, Rocco is making 11.3 million. Andre Godal is making somewhere around 16 or 17 million dollars. It becomes really difficult to match those dollar signs when you just don't have big contracts to move. So, before we wrap up this first segment, we're just going to roll through the Rockets' trade assets and essentially the pieces that they would look at trading. Now, it goes without saying. Russell Westbrook and James Harden are not going to be traded. Those two guys are off limits. It's not happening. So all of you on Twitter, Facebook, Clutch fans, Reddit, doesn't matter, saying trade Russell Westbrook, it's not, let me just, it's not happening. Sorry. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, Clint Capella is basically the Rockets' best bargaining chip as far as a trade is concerned. However, after scouring... The entire NBA, I genuinely don't see a trade partner with a piece that makes sense for the Houston Rockets that would make sense to basically ship Capella out for. There's just there's not a piece out there. There's not a piece that improves the Rockets and gives them a better chance to win than Capella, who is consistently providing you basically 15 and 15 on any given night. I mean, he had the stretch of games where he was getting more than 19 rebounds or the stretch where he got, you know, 20-plus boards. Capella has turned it on this season. And for what he gives you with his limited touches, there's not a better player out there for what he provides, and he is essentially your defensive anchor. So the closest guy that comes to providing what Capella essentially provides you but in a different manner, or the only guy that I would even remotely consider trading Capella for would maybe be Kevin Love just because he gives you so much offensively while still not being that much of a drop-off as far as the rebounding is concerned. But Love has had his fair share of injuries over the years. And again, I think there's just kind of a drop-off there. There's the age concern. Love's a whole six years older than Capella. The contract is rather large. Probably going to be hard to move that at some point down the line. Just not a lot of great pros on that list for Kevin Love. And again, he was the only name that really jumped out at me as far as somebody that I would even remotely consider moving Capella for. So I'm going to lump Capella into that not touchable category. 
Then next, we've got Eric Gordon on the list. Eric Gordon is untouchable because he literally cannot be traded. And this falls into the, again, the area where you have to take into consideration the rules of the CBA. And a lot of people disregard those when they come up with these random trade hypotheticals and whatnot. Eric Gordon cannot be traded this season. Because of when he signed his contract extension this summer, because he signed it so late, Eric Gordon will not be eligible to be traded until after the NBA trade deadline has passed. Therefore, he's not going anywhere. So then we're down to P.J. Tucker, who for what P.J. Tucker provides and the contract that he's on, only $8.3 million. He's your starting stretch for all the defense that he provides, the heart and soul of the team. Great chemistry with Harden, and it seems he's developing great chemistry with Westbrook, and I'm sure he's got that great chemistry with the rest of the team. He is your prototypical glue guy. Trevor Ariza held down that role for years. P.J. Tucker has now inherited that role. The Rockets have always had those glue guys. Shane Battier is the main glue guy, the glue guy that jumps to mind when I think glue guy on an NBA team. I think Shane Battier, I think Trevor Ariza, and I think P.J. Tucker. Tucker's not going anywhere either. And he's your last sizable contract, unfortunately. So really, the Rockets are kind of hamstrung by not having that many pieces that they can move. Now, the pieces that they can move are going to be Nene's contract, worth $2.5 million. Daniel House, his contract, $3.5 million. Austin Rivers, $2.1 million. Tyson Chandler, $2.5 million. Gerald Green, 2.5, and Tabo Cephalosha, 2.5. And then you've also got the likes of Ben McLemore, who's eligible to be traded, Gary Clark, Isaiah Hartenstein, Chris Clemens, basically the rest of the roster past your your immediate core. Those are all the guys that you're going to have to look at potentially trading to upgrade this team. Now, in addition to all those essentially vet minimum contracts that you've got floating around on this Rockets roster, the Rockets also have available to them their 2020 first-round draft pick as well as their 2022 first-round draft pick. So basically, those are the assets that they have on hand to try and make something happen. So now that we've got the building blocks for a trade out of the way, in the next segment, we'll kind of visit some potential targets, and structure some of these trade deals in a way that I think is fair for not just the Rockets, but for the other team involved, which makes it ideally a good trade for both parties and something that is less of a hypothetical and more of a realistic possibility. But before we get there, a quick word from our friends over at Casper. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. You can get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com and using code LOCKEDONMBA at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Now, if you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. And we are back in here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, where we are basically playing general manager right now. Now, the last time that we spoke about Rockets contracts and potential trade targets very briefly for that one segment, I regrettably had the, I had some misinformation from SpotRack where, unfortunately, I was looking at the numbers that included the likely incentives for Nene's contract deal, which basically painted the picture that the Rockets were actually $7.6 million over the luxury tax line. However, that is not true because the likely incentives on Nene's deal 
equate to about $7.4 million. Now, if you guys remember, Ben and I actually spoke about this in a summer podcast where I was the guest on the podcast, I suppose, and I called into him and we discussed it originally, Nene's kind of funky deal that Maury was trying to construct where essentially he drafted up these likely incentives for Nene's contract to try and create an outgoing salary of about $10 million to generate another mid-level contract for trade purposes. And the NBA front office took one look at the contract and said, yeah, no, we're going to, we're, we're voiding this. And so Nene's outgoing value is still just that of his base contract value, which is 2.5 million. However, the likely incentives still exist. So should Nene meet those likely incentives, then he makes an extra $7.4 million for a total of $10 million. That's not likely to happen. Nene will simply just get waived before any of the incentives take place, which I want to say the incentives start kicking in based on number of games played or something to that effect. Basically, Nene is not likely to actually receive any of those incentives because he has not met any of those metrics because he just hasn't played it all this season. So he is basically a $2.5 million trade chip and nothing more. Now, moving past that, what that basically means is that the Rockets are just a smidge over the luxury tax line. So by about $150,000, $200,000 is what they're over the luxury tax line, which basically puts us in Tillman Fertitta territory of is he going to be willing to spend or is he going to try and duck the tax for another season? So this is really the season where if you are going to spend, if you are going to go all in with Russell Westbrook and James Harden, if you are going to spend to try and trade a couple pieces around to try and sit in the luxury tax and really make a strong push, this would be the season to do it because there's no reason to duck the tax again. And this will be the season that really paints the picture of Tillman Fertitta as the owner of the Rockets. Is he willing to put his money where his mouth is? Is he willing to shut up and pay? See what I did there? Anyways, the main target that I think makes the most sense for the Rockets, and the Rockets have been linked to his name, is Robert Covington. But I was racking my brain trying to find a way that the Rockets could acquire Covington and also potentially slightly stay under the luxury tax line. And I think I've got a trade drafted up, and it's contingent on a couple factors, but again, based on the three rules or three sets of requirements that I laid out in the first segment, I think it meets all three of those. Now, the Timberwolves are looking for a point guard. The Rockets have a point guard on their bench named Austin Rivers. Now, I've grown to love Austin Rivers. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think the defense that he provides is great. I think that he provides the third playmaker on the roster that the Rockets were sorely missing for much of Chris Paul's tenure, and now that they have Russell Westbrook in the lineup, it's great, especially on the game in the games where Russell Westbrook is sitting on the second night of a back-to-back. Having Austin Rivers there is phenomenal. But this Rockets team has a desperate need for some more defense and shooting and size on the wings. Now, again, this hypothetical is contingent on a lot of different factors. But I think if you package Nene, Austin Rivers, Tyson Chandler, Tabo Cephalosha, and Gerald Green all together, and you trade that package of players plus a first-round draft pick, that is more than enough to net you Robert Covington and it actually drops you 
below the tax threshold because that combination of players puts you, I want to say when I did the math earlier, it was either $12.3 million or $12.6 million. I think it was 12.3. Now, Robert Covington's contract is only worth $11.3 million. So that's a million dollars in savings right there that then drops the team below the luxury tax threshold. Now, there's a couple problems in there in you're trading five players for one guy. And so you have to essentially figure out how you're going to disperse those players across the Minnesota Timberwolves roster. You might have to get a third team involved and potentially float said third team a second round draft pick down the line, something to that effect to make this roster shuffling of players work out. But getting a third team involved simply to take on a little bit of salary is not usually a difficult endeavor. We've seen it before where teams just, you know, you float out a second-round draft pick or you float out some cash considerations to a third team just to make the initial trade work. That's not necessarily the issue. The issue really falls on Gerald Green and Austin Rivers, who both have a restriction on their one-year contracts where they can actually veto a trade. They have the one-year bird exception on both of their contracts, and the Rockets have to get consent from both of them before trading them to another team. Now, that is basically the main holdup in this deal because I think that from the Minnesota Timberwolves standpoint, they get a point guard in Austin Rivers who is you know, 27 years old, has shown flashes of, you know, not I won't say flashes of brilliance, but is a very competent point guard. And then they get the chance to potentially re-up and re-sign him this summer. He gets a whole half season to play with the team to see how this works out. And they also get a first-round draft pick for their troubles. Now, is there another deal out there somewhere? The Bucks have been rumored to be looking at Robert Covington. They've also been rumored to be looking at J.J. Redick. The Bucks don't have a point guard on their roster that makes sense for the T-Wolves. They just don't. They don't have a guy on their team that... Really, they don't have any assets on their team that make sense for the T-Wolves from what I looked at. But Austin Rivers gives them a point guard. They also get a first-round draft pick. And the Rockets get Robert Covington. They get the size. They get the defense. They get the shooting. And again, the biggest issue just comes from would Gerald Green and would Austin Rivers be willing to consent to said trade? Now, I think from Austin Rivers' standpoint... It makes a little bit of sense because once Eric Gordon comes back, Rivers is going to lose some of his minutes. And Rivers is essentially playing for his next big contract. Now, he's got a player option at the end of the season, and he could very easily just opt into that year of his contract and play next season with the Rockets or with another team. But Austin Rivers, at 27 years old, will be 28 next year, like... It would make sense for him to spend a half season kind of showcasing his skills to try and barter for a stronger contract this offseason. So where what better place to do that in than to go up to the Timberwolves to be the starting point guard for the back half of the season, really showcase his skills, and then get a nice payday this summer. That makes a lot of sense for Austin Rivers, which is why I don't think that he would have any issue consenting to said trade. Again, especially with the fact that with Eric Gordon's return, he's going to lose a big chunk of his minutes. He just is. Eric Gordon's going to absorb a lot of those third guard minutes that currently Austin Rivers is occupying. On top of that, more back to the Rockets standpoint of looking at things, the emergence of Ben McLemore as a consistent bench production, bench scoring punch in Eric Gordon's absence you don't need five guards. This is already a guard-heavy lineup, 
And having a fifth guard in Austin Rivers and or Ben McLemore, whoever you want to label as number five, somebody's not going to get minutes somewhere. So if you can trade Austin Rivers and upgrade your wing spot by getting back Robert Covington, you do it in a heartbeat. Again, I've grown to love Austin Rivers, but if it means trading this batch of guys and getting back Robert Covington and all you essentially give up is Austin Rivers and a first-round draft pick, I think you do it in a heartbeat. Now, again, same same principle applies for Gerald Green. Would Gerald Green be willing to consent to a trade? I don't know. I don't Again, I don't want to pretend to be inside Gerald Green's head, but he he's injured. You know, he knows that he's not playing the rest of the season. And while it would hurt to deal Gerald Green, you know, beloved Houstonian Gerald Green, Houston to the bone, while it would hurt to trade him, I don't think that he would look at it as they're trading him. They're just using his salary to improve the team. And it sucks to be put in this position to have to trade Gerald Green. You'd love it that he you know, maybe didn't get injured earlier this year and maybe he was a part of this roster as we speak right now, but that's just not the case. You don't have Gerald Green. He's not a serviceable player right now. And maybe you revisit it next summer and you re-sign him to another deal because the T-Wolves don't have any use for him. You're just you're literally just throwing him in, him in there as salary filler. So I'm inclined to believe that Gerald Green would also waive the trade restriction on his contract and consent to being traded to the T-Wolves. Again, if it improves the Rockets and gives them a better chance at winning a championship, I think Gerald Green would be all for it. So that's the that's the main trade that I've again spent all afternoon looking at the Robert Covington deal makes a lot of sense. And I think financially the Rockets can pull it off. I think it makes sense on their end. I think it makes sense on the Timberwolves end. And past that, there's all the other guys on that list. And they all have varying degrees, again, of this same situation. You can look at the Kings with Bogdanovich. He's got $8.5 million on this contract. He's only there for this year, and he's a free agent this next summer. But the Kings already have Buddy Heald and Andrew Barnes locked up for the next four to five years apiece. Do they really want to pay Bogdanovich to be that that version of their big three? I mean, and then you've got De'Aaron Fox, who's going to be up for a big deal at the end of his rookie contract. So the Kings have some serious decisions to make as far as what they're willing to actually pay some of their guys. And if it means getting back a few assets or some young players, the Rockets do still have the ability to deal the likes of Chris Clemens, Gary Clark, Isaiah Hartenstein. You know, those guys have shown a bit of promise and as well as their their two sets of draft picks that they have. So maybe the Kings are kind of looking at it like, well, we're going to lose him for nothing or we can give him, you know, give a half season rental of him to the Houston Rockets. And again, all you have to do to match salary there, it's an $8.5 million deal. You package up three of the guys that we just spoke about, Nene, Tyson Chandler, Tabo Cephalosha, that's three times 2.5 million gets you to 7.5, which is well within the range to cover the 125% rule to absorb Bogdanovich's contract. Same deal for, and I mentioned him before, this name has popped up, Davis Bertans with the Wizards. Same thing there. Now, 
if the Wizards decide that they're going to make a push and actually try to make the John Wall-Bradley Beal pairing work again once John Wall makes it back, then it does make sense for them to try and re-sign Bertans at the end of the season and hold on to him. He's 27 years old. He's a great shooter. He spaces the floor. Exactly the kind of guy that you want alongside John Wall and Bradley Beal. But again, how much are you willing to pay him? Do they think they have the financial means to retain him? Do they want to retain him? Or do they just want to say, you know what? It was great having you here, but we're going to deal you for a half-season rental, and we're just going to pick up a first-rounder from the Rockets. Thanks for your service. Again, a lot of these guys on this list are all one-year deals, and that's kind of what you fall into, and that's kind of the market that you're stuck with as a championship-contending team like the Rockets trying to improve on the margins, essentially packaging two to four vet minimum deals together to try and cop another mid-tier salary rotation player, Jay Crowder from the Grizzlies, Wilson Chandler from the Nets, who actually falls into the smaller category as far as his salary he's only making 2.5 million dollars and the Rockets do have a pair of trade exceptions both from the Brandon Knight trade and the Marquise Chris trade one worth 3.6 million dollars and one worth 3.2 million dollars and I'll dive into a little bit more about those trade traded player exceptions here in just one moment so don't go anywhere Final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, I mentioned it briefly right there at the end of segment two, but the Rockets do have a pair of traded player exceptions, one from the Marquise Chris trade and one from the Brandon Knight trade worth $3.6 million and worth $3.2 million. Basically, those traded player exceptions, what happens when the Rockets receive less salary back in a trade it essentially creates this little this little balloon of salary that they can use to then absorb another player further down the line for less than that number. So the Rockets have two of those, and they expire on February 7th. And the way that works is if the Rockets wanted to absorb a player who makes less than $3.2 million or another player who makes less than $3.6 million, they can do so. Now, again, this is all dependent on whether or not Tillman's willing to stay in the luxury tax or even dive deeper into the luxury tax. But it is a tool that exists for them to improve the roster. So a name that has popped up before, Markeith Morris, plays for the Detroit Pistons. There's been interest there before with the Rockets. He's a guy who falls squarely into that little category. He's making $3.2 million this year. That's a guy who could easily be absorbed by one of those trade exceptions. And for the Pistons, you know, if they're not going to make the playoffs, if it looks like they're going to be one of the bottom teams in the Eastern Conference, which they are kind of trending that way as we speak, it kind of makes sense on their end to just say, you know what, Marquise, we appreciate it. We're going to turf you over to the Rockets and we're going to take in a a second-round draft pick or some cash considerations or whatever it may be just to try and recoup some assets for a player who's, you know, again, it's not doing much for you. If you're not competing, if you're not going to at least make the playoffs, if you're going to be a lottery team, it makes sense for these teams to recoup their assets and to gather as many future assets as possible from the teams who are actually looking to make a push in the playoffs or make a push for or towards championship contention like the Rockets. Now, the rest of the names on this list, I left Andre Iguodala off because Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe have basically come out directly and said that the Rockets are basically giving up the pursuit of Andre Iguodala. It'd be 
basically it'd be far too difficult for the Rockets to maneuver within the confines of the CBA to maneuver things around to absorb Iguodala's contract the way it stands and not gut the roster, basically. To be able to get Iguodala in a Rockets jersey without him being bought out first is basically damn near impossible. Daryl Morey is a magician when it comes to the CBA, but I don't even think he could pull that one off. It's just the numbers are not there, basically. And as far as the other guys that are on there, again, Jay Crowder, also with the Grizzlies, just one year left on his deal. He's not shooting particularly well this year, only 32 or 33% from behind the arc, but he's a guy who gives you a bit more size. He can he kind of provides that switchability on the de- defensive side of things. Jabari Parker, another guy with the Hawks, he's got a one plus one, so a team option, I believe, in the second year of his deal. Team option? No, I think it's player option in the second year of his deal. But he's only at a $6.5 million deal, so again, you could package kind of a trio of some of the vet minimum deals that the Rockets have to pick him up. And again, for a guy like Jabari Parker, who's not even providing much to the Hawks team, a second rounder should probably get that done. Because the way that you need to look at these first and second round draft picks is they're essentially just sweeteners on these deals. They are not usually the prime piece of a trade deal but they are sweeteners that get thrown in because if a team's again not performing well if they're not actively in the playoff hunt and they're not going to be at least for the next year or so if they're in kind of that rebuilding process or if they're kind of in NBA limbo so to speak then these teams like to recoup assets now not every team does this properly there are some very mismanaged franchises out there I'm looking at you New York who signed 47 power forwards this offseason. Anyways, sorry. Not every team uses their roster, uses their current crop of players accordingly to try and recoup assets and try and build up a treasure trove of future assets to build up what should be a contender down the line. Not every team does that appropriately. First team that comes to mind really is the Philadelphia 76ers, the whole trust the process, you know, tank, 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 and now look at them. They acquired assets for years. Boston Celtics did the same thing. Lots of teams have gone through the process of tanking, being crappy teams for a little while, and then just selling off all of their relevant assets and recouping future draft prospect, future draft capital, all these things, and being able to then spin all that to create a contender. And so the Rockets find themselves in this position where they are now looking to kind of source from these teams who are struggling, who are going to be lottery teams, like the Grizzlies, potentially like the Kings. Again, the the bottom six, seven, eight seeds in the West are kind of all up for grabs. But really, of all those guys that have been listed off, Robert Covington's the guy that I think really catapults the Rockets into being maybe not favorites in the West, because again, the Lakers are playing some really great basketball. But I think if they are able to get Robert Covington and the only significant piece they have to give up to do that would be Austin Rivers, I think that essentially catapults you to being at least number two favorites in the West. I'd put them above the Clippers at that point, just because if you're looking at a rotation of Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Daniel House, P.J. Tucker, and Clint Capella, and you can make the argument that Robert Covington would actually get the start over Daniel House at that point, which I would not be upset about one bit. So either or right there, but we'll go with what I already said. 
And then off the bench, you've got your sixth man, Eric Gordon. You've got Ben McLemore. You've got Robert Covington. You've got Gary Clark, Isaiah Hartenstein, Chris Clemens. That's a really solid core of guys. And then it finally gets you back to that point where you've got a number of sizable wing defenders. You've got Daniel House. You've got Robert Covington. You've got P.J. Tucker. You've got Gary Clark in spot minutes here and there or as a small ball five. That gives you a really strong team with a lot of switchability, which is exactly what the Rockets want to achieve defensively. Robert Covington is a great three-point shooter. And then as long as you get Eric Gordon back to some semblance of what he normally provides, that team sounds really great on paper. And I'm sure it would look even better actually out there on the court. Again, it all just depends on what Daryl Morey is able to accomplish, what the Timberwolves are looking to accomplish by trading Robert Covington, what other suitors are out there for him, and what they may or may not be able to provide. There may be a random NBA team out there that hasn't been linked to Robert Covington whatsoever who may swoop in at the last moment with a better offer than the Rockets can put together. And that's just life in the NBA. Sometimes another team comes in and has a better offer. The Rockets were lined up to get Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple at the trade deadline last year, and the trade fell through, regrettably. And now you see Jermichael Green thriving on the Clippers. Garrett Temple's up in Brooklyn now. It's the NBA. You never know with the NBA. Sometimes two teams will agree to a trade, and then it falls apart at the last second, and those are always really painful. Think about the Pau Gasol trade from back in the day, where Pau Gasol almost became a Houston Rocket. So these trades happen quite frequently. And Chris Paul almost became a Laker. And now look at us. We had Chris Paul for two years in, in Rockets Red instead. So the NBA is a weird, constantly ever-shifting landscape. And while I enjoy doing these hypotheticals and kind of throwing some numbers around and seeing what's available and what the Rockets could do to improve, it's all just a big guessing game because so many of these things happen behind closed doors and things don't usually get leaked unless the organization wants them leaked. And if Wojnarowski finds, about some, finds out about something, we'll all be the first people to know because he's going to tweet it out immediately. And I'm sure every one of you guys listening that are active on NBA Twitter have the tweet notifications turned on for Woj. I know I do. And it's just one of those things where we'll have to wait and see. Again, it is fun to sit here and speculate a little bit. I do like that Robert Covington trade idea. I think it does make sense for all parties involved. And I think it even makes sense on a personal level for Austin Rivers, who, again, should be looking for a payday this summer, 28 years old, kind of rolling right into the prime of his career. It makes sense that he would want to get, you know, one more big payday from a team somewhere. And this would be a good opportunity for him to showcase his skills. I'd hate to see him go, but if it meant getting Robert Covington, Sorry, sorry, Houston Bayous. I think you're out. I think that's where we'll wrap things up for today. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Now, if you want more content before our next show, social media is where it's all happening. I'm on there at JT Gatlin, and of course, the show is on there at Locked On Rockets. Past that, there's Facebook, which can be found at facebook.com slash lockedonrockets, the website, lockedonrockets.com, and of course, our email address, lockedonrockets at gmail.com. All of these are different ways that you can consume content about your Houston Rockets. You can ask me questions about the team. You can make suggestions for the show, place advertising inquiries. Really, it's just a way for you to reach out and let me know if there's anything that we can do to improve this experience for you, our listeners. And on a brief segue from that, I will throw out that on Twitter tomorrow, I will be posting the very first mailbag of the season. So if you have any questions, comments, whatever you want to throw my way, 
send in your questions. I'll be posting it multiple times throughout the day. And I think the cutoff will probably be about 5 or 6 p.m., give or take tomorrow, maybe 7 or 8, just kind of depends on things. But I'll be posting all throughout the day, reading all the tweets, all the responses. And so if you want to get your questions in for me, about me, about the Rockets, about whatever, go ahead and throw them my way tomorrow. Now, beyond that, if you'd be kind enough to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, if you could please subscribe and give us a five-star review. That's how you get the benefit of episodes that go straight to your inbox before they show up on the previously mentioned social media outlets, and then we get the benefit of looking attractive to potential advertisers and keeping this business model rolling along as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Now, for this Tuesday evening December 18th episode this is where we break as always thank you so much for listening and we hope to have you back again very very soon right here at Locked on Rockets your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball